On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, welcome to all of you joining us today. Today's topic is why run for president as well as many other things that Woody and I are going to be discussing. Welcome, Woody. Thank you, Felice. Always happy to be here. Yeah, and uh, we've got about three pages of notes here. Uh, so where where can you find uh, all these notes if you're listening to this on, on your phone or uh, you know, virtually uh, in some manner, not on the Internet. What you can do is go to current issues and theconstitution.com and scroll down the page to our archives and you'll find a post that says, well, I run for president. And underneath that, you'll see all the topics that we're going to discuss today. Some we're going to just hit on lightly and others we're going to delve into. And um, a lot of great information here, Woody. So I'm excited um, to pick up here where we left off before um, we took a, a short break. So again, um, some people have been asking me uh, if we're every week. We are every other week. So we we um, have live shows at 1 o'clock every uh, first Wednesday of the month, and then we skip a week, and then the next Wednesday of the month. So uh, we average about two shows per month, and a lot of information plus a lot of links so that you can do some research on your own with your family. So today, Woody, we're going to be uh, starting with some events that have happened uh, currently, and one of the things you and I um, talked about in an email um, I'll probably bring up um, in a moment. But the first uh, event you wanted to cover was uh, the Pope's uh, visit to the mosque in Istanbul. And, in fact, if you search um, Pope Praise in the Mosque in Istanbul, I can't even say it, Istanbul, um, you will find that uh, he is not the only pope. Um, pope Francis is the current um, pope of the uh, Catholic Roman Catholic Church, and uh, you'll find that uh, Pope Benedict also went, uh, as well as some other predecessors. So let's discuss that, Woody, and you have a link uh, that has a news article that you want the listeners to read. Yes, thank you. Um... The reason I put this one first, I think, was because when I read the uh, when I read the head, headline, I was really surprised, uh, almost stunned, um, that in this very very difficult time in the Middle East, um, I, I thought it was just um, an act of tr- true courage and true faith that, that the Pope would travel to Turkey, an Islam nation, and stand in one of their mosques and pray with the head of um, 
the Islam Church in in um, Turkey, uh, which they call the Grand Mufti uh, Rami Yaren, and they prayed together, uh, prayed for peace and uh, goodwill, mm-hmm. uh, and it just uh, amazed me uh, that the Pope would do this and. Um, what a message that is sending. You know, is, is it time and, you know, will, will the Pope's visit um, spark a wave of of energy in the good people throughout the world that we are just so tired of all this fighting and terrorism, this horrible, horrible violence. We're just mm-hmm. tired of it. So good people of the world um, unite and uh do whatever can be done to suppress these kinds of leaders and these kinds of, of murderous activities. I, I think that the, the Pope and the Grand Mufti sent a, a very strong message there. And um, w- were you surprised at all, as I was, when you read the headline? No, because Benedict has done it before. And, and the thing to explain to our listeners as a, a Catholic um it's not that he's agreeing with their faith, you know, but they are right. agreeing in their presence as leaders of their respective, you know, faith that there should be peace. And, you know, we see these bumper stickers that, you know, say everyone should get along. And the idea when we, you know, especially with all that's been happening, if I see someone in a Muslim headdress, especially an American, it just doesn't sit well with me because all I can think about is all the terrorism that's happening. And so I think the Pope's visit, um, which, you know, as you said, was very brave because, you know, Christians are being persecuted all over the place. And, you know, some of them, um, I get emails from time to time that are very chilling uh, some of them are copycat emails, so they're not, you know, you wonder about the validity of them, and others, are, you just hope it and pray it's not really happening. But, you know, a lot of what is happening, uh, we're not hearing. We're hearing little, you know, cases here and there. Right. So, sure. um, you know, he is really trying to put a public face on the atrocities that are happening, and with his goodwill visit, He's trying to, um, you know, say enough is enough. You know, this radicalism is um, what now is being portrayed um, for your faith. And if this isn't true, then, you know, you need you need to help us out here. So I, I think that was part of it. Um, you know, and he's, this uh, Pope Francis is a very uh, frugal pope, you know, <laughs> Uh, he's been he's doesn't like a lot of the pomp and circumstance, which is you know really amazing because there's a lot of that um, yeah, in the Roman Church. Sure. And so well, in, um, you know, in Istanbul also. Right, right. So that's why you know they said that at times he was visibly uncomfortable with all that was going on, but that you know he was there as the the leader of um, you know of the Christians, and he was also joined. Um, by the Orthodox Church, it said. So, you know, a really good article to read. And just, you know, I, I join with you, Woody, and just we're praying that this outreach does shake some complacency uh, among, you know, 
among that country to, you know, get a hold of your people and these renegades and, and really mm-hmm. see them for what they are. And hopefully it shakes up our country as well. So, yeah, very... I think very one of the reasons I was again. so surprised is that... Um, um, that Turkey has not cooperated with us in this battle against ISIL. Right. And, um, you know, that thing is just basically stalemated. ISIL is very much alive and well. We're still bombing, and uh, our, some of our allies are bombing with us. But these guys are smart. They hide out in the cities. They camouflage. They haven't taken Baghdad. They haven't taken any more major oil fields or cities. So, Sort of like uh, the Cold War, we have con- apparently the bombing campaigns are containing them, but they're still committing those atrocities, and they have even crossed into Turkey. Uh, the Kobani uh, uh, battle that's still going on it's been going on for weeks and weeks. They went into Turkey and, and tried to come down from the north, and Turkey has allowed them to do that. Turkey has allowed them to push oil into the black market through Turkey, and they've allowed people to come from uh, Europe and North America uh, through Turkey down into Syria and Iraq. And, you know, I just had the sense, okay, they've got a problem there. Like all of the Arab countries, all of the Muslim countries, every one of them has a potential revolution, uh, Syria mm-hmm. style. It started back in 2010 with that Arab Spring. And I was, I was really surprised that Turkey would make this statement and I can imagine it that some of the radical groups in Turkey could uh, arise uh, uh, stimulated by that, motivated by that. But maybe this means that Turkey is taking a step in the right direction. And um, uh, the Pope, is, the pope uh, whoever the Pope is, it doesn't matter whether it's 100 years ago or today, is a very, very influential person in world affairs. And it's really good uh, to see this kind of uh, an active pope uh, try to make a difference. Now I would like to see him go to Egypt. That's another country. You know, Turkey is um, is like um, a sort of a between country. South mm-hmm. of Turkey, you have the Muslim states. Northwest, you have the European states. So Turkey goes both ways and tends to be more moderate. Well, Egypt is in the same situation. Egypt... Um, is not so so clearly as Turkey, but nonetheless to the south um, of e- Egypt, you don't have that radical um, Islam, you know, that terrorism. There is some, yes, and little dots here and there that get a lot of media attention, but they don't cover much territory at all. And, of course, northeast of Egypt is the Middle East itself. Uh, so e- Egypt has a tendency to be more moderate, more uh, reasonable, uh, when it comes to dealing with the kinds of things that are going on in the Middle East today. So I would like, to, or maybe um, uh, the, the Vatican could invite uh, Egyptian dignitaries to the Vatican uh, and yeah. make a statement. You know, we, we've said before, Felice, I believe on this show, that 90% of the Muslim people are just like us. They're just good, wonderful, hardworking people. They love their children. They want what's best um, they are. They live in peace uh, with us and with their neighbors. Less than ten percent are involved in terrorism and the other kinds of things that we're seeing. So, if uh, these these leaders, these leaders that uh, that are moderate politically and and who do believe in peace and would like to see peace, 
in their cities and in their communities and in their countries, if they can uh, join together, um, they could just slowly but surely over time, with our support and European support, basically silence uh, the voices of terrorism and terrorist leaders. I, I think that that could happen, and that's a heck of a lot better than bombs or boots on the ground, as uh, secretaries of defense right. like to say. Um, right. You know, that's just going to keep it going, going, going. So I think the Pope is uh, really uh, is paving the way here and setting, setting an example for the rest of the world and for the Middle yeah, East. Very, very good. You know, and, and who knows, he may have some trips planned. And I know that there are a lot of talks that, you know, you wish sometimes to be a fly on the wall. Uh, so that you could hear what what really is going on, or when the dignitaries meet together and they put their heads together, you want to know, you know, what are those whispered words? But you yes. know, hopefully that this is the beginning of an impact. Well, turning to uh, back to our soils in the U.S., we have a big uh, run, Senate runoff in Louisiana happening, and uh, from what I understand, there is a ton of money that is being poured into that race. Why don't you share that with us, Woody? Well, this, uh, the election is going to be this Saturday, December 6th, and, and you'll recall from our earlier discussions that Louisiana State, uh, the, the Constitution, by the way, um, I tried and tried, Felice, and I couldn't think of any way to connect the Pope to the United States Constitution, so that wasn't mentioned. But you'll remember <laughs> that, that uh, the Constitution, Article 1, does give the states uh, the power and the authority to set up their own elections and their election rules. So right. some states, including Louisiana and Georgia, and possibly two or three others, have a um, an, the open primary where the, uh, Louisiana had nine candidates running, and as they split the vote, as a result, nobody got 50% because Louisiana also requires that to win uh, you that election and to become the senator or whatever, you have to get 50%, and nobody got more than 48%. So um, runoff uh, this Saturday, and of course, I suppose it's just the opposite. It probably doesn't. I'm thinking it would cost them more money to have a second election, but if you have a primary and then a general, that's also two elections. So either way, it works out. Uh, it's just that we all have to wait and see. And as you know, Louisiana Republican Senate candidate Bill Cassidy holds a double-digit lead. He's up around 16%. And conservative groups are pouring money into Louisiana. So far, um, with outside money and with Bill Cassidy's campaign money uh, that he still had left, uh, they've spent about $565,000 compared to 168000 for liberal groups. So... Not only does Cassidy have a double-digit lead, uh, conservatives are outspending liberals. Who's kind of, kind of given up on Louisiana? It appears they have the money; they're just not spending it. So, outspending three to one, it looks like the Republicans are going to have 54 seats in the Senate. That's going to be a nine-seat turnaround, and that is something that rarely has happened in history. That many seats. Uh, you see it in the House of Representatives, 435, but you only got 100, and they're statewide also. So you mm -hmm. don't see that kind of, uh, of, of a turnaround. So th this is really, really significant. But keep in mind, it only happened in 12 states. It only happened in 12 states. A lot of Democrats held their seats and won by 
20, 20, 25 points. So they're, you know, we're only looking at 12 states, and there's, there are 38 more states that will come into play in the presidential election. So the fact that um, the Republicans won the Senate does in no way suggest that they will win the White House um, in 2016. But nonetheless, keep an eye on that. Um, tune in Saturday, and we'll see the result. Another thing, you know, I didn't know this, and uh, Felice, you might know as much as I do about this or more. Um, if Cassidy carries Louisiana, which he almost certainly will, mm -hmm. then the last remaining senator from the Deep South, that is uh, Texas, across the Gulf Coast, and down into Florida, South Carolina, down to Florida, that's the Deep South. So Florida Senator Bill Nelson will be the last remaining senator from the Deep South, the last remaining Democrat senator from the Deep South. I didn't know that. And, you know, it's That's kind of funny. 30, 40 years ago, the whole Deep South was Democrat. But uh, like West Virginia, there's been a, which was a Democratic state in those days, 30, 40 years ago, there's been a total flip. That part of the country is moving to the right and going conservative. So... Bill Nelson, what do you think of him? Uh, not not a favorite, but um, yeah, that's amazing that it has changed so much. And you know, it just is a testimony to people just being fed up. Um, it, it took a long time. I wish they had been more fed up during the last election, um, but for president, um, but they weren't at that time, I guess. Uh, so you know, this is definitely sending a message uh, to the Obama presidency. However, uh, the, the Republicans really have a lot of work to do in order to get some voter confidence back. Like you said, it's not an, uh, a shoe-in for the presidency because, um, you know, right now I, I'm excited to see your list, Woody, and we'll be covering that in, in just a little while. Um, Woody listed 24 of the most likely candidates for the race as well as uh, on the Democratic side, which is a short list compared to the Republican side of the House. Yeah, um, we'll talk about not, why. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really seeing any that I'm looking at and going, yeah, I really would love – I mean, there's a couple I would love to see, but I don't think they have enough backing. Uh, there's some that make me nervous on this list. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's something that the Republicans are really going to have to do something about, and one of their first uh, tests, so to speak, is going to be um, in in reply to Obama's uh, ten point amnesty plan. Uh, so let's let's jump to that point, uh, Woody. You know, obviously uh, Obama suffered in in the polls. Um, he's at thirty nine percent. So right. you know, it, do you think that's a reaction to to his amnesty plan? And that was the other thing you listed as well um, in the show notes are his 10 points. Yeah, he's, um, he's basically falling, but he was at 40%. So this is only a 1% okay. drop in it. And it could just be an anomaly. But you know, um, President Obama, and I, you know, I've been watching him closely for six years, um, he doesn't seem to understand, or at least he doesn't care, that he was elected to govern America 
all Americans. He represents you and me, uh, sh- should represent you and me in our interests as much as anybody else. And he doesn't seem with this uh, this immigration thing to really care that almost 60% of us are opposed to his plan. He's going to push it through anyway. Whatever liberal consortium controls this man has far more influence on him than the American people do. And that's really sad to see. And we've seen it before in the past, but you don't see it very often. A president has uh, living in the White House, being in the Oval Office, he's got to stop once in a while and uh, stare at the portrait of Abraham Lincoln or George Washington and contemplate, who am I? Uh, I'm the president. Uh, what am I t- supposed to be doing? What are what are the values? What are the what's the vision? Um, I don't think that this man does that. I think mm-hmm. he is just a solid part. And I don't, you know, as I look at the six reasons that uh, USA Today put forth as to why people run for president, I don't think any of them apply to him uh, significantly um, as one of mine, but we'll get back into that. But anyway, his 10-point amnesty plan is very unpopular. It was one of the campaign issues that that gave us that Republican wave in this recent election. But it doesn't matter. He's going to go through with it anyway. That was the plan. That was the liberal plan. That was, of course, the consortium's plan. And he's going to go through with it. I have no doubt that um, if Obama continues to play ball with whoever these people are, and we probably know who some of them are, like uh, George Soros, for example, and some groups like the environmental groups, for example, that that don't want the Keystone Pipeline and want a lot of money putting into renewable energy and those kinds of things, the kind of people that want uh, heavy taxes and regulations put on coal, petroleum, and other uh, fossil fuels. Uh, these are the people who are in basically in charge of the White House, it seems to me. So they've put together a 10-point amnesty plan, and I can only find – Seven of them, and I'm not clear on some. The first one, um, the big one, is the deferred deferred action amnesty. In other words, uh, people that are here Ill- illegally, and we know who they are, uh, they came to the United States as children. Uh, they will no longer they will be exempt from de- deportation, which essentially is amnesty. And then they will this um, this executive order. I started to say a bill. It should be a bill in Congress. This uh, deferred action will be extended to parents of these children and to legal green card carrying permanent residents that have been here for quite some time. Some of them have been here for decades, and their children uh, speak English and 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 do all the things that Americans do. I mean, there are an awful lot of uh, Hispanics in America that um, are not anti-American, and they are um, solid citizens of the United States. They fight and die in our military. They pay taxes and do all of the other things. And many of them are quite successful, high-tech areas, for example. Uh, Many of them in our legal system, uh, very capable, very well-educated people that are um, contributing to the well-being of America, and some of them are not yet citizens of the United States, and this deferred action thing will allow that. So 
Secondly, this bill will expand the number of young people allowed to remain in the United States to about 300,000. Now you add to that um, their parents and possibly their brothers and sisters, then you're up in the uh, few million category. And sometimes it's just you just shake your head. You, we don't know how many illegal immigrants there are in the United States. Some say 12 million, some say, some say 20 million. And when we're talking about um, Obama's amnesty plan, liberals say 4 million, uh, conservatives say 5 or 6 million. It's difficult to say how many there will be. Hey, can uh, I jump in, Woody? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, I'm, you know, as you're saying that, I'm wondering, is this the ploy for the next election? So we make all of the illegal immigrants who now owe the Democratic Party, and you've just made them all voters. That just popped well, into my head when you're giving, going through those numbers. Okay, the the thing here is, and this is a this is very powerful from the constitutional sense. Amnesty is not citizenship. It just okay. means you're not going to be deported. You can stay here. And um, I was reading an article today. Um, apparently, the government, uh, one of the agencies in the government, probably the Immigration and Naturalization Service ordered a huge amount of green uh, cardboard-like paper that's used in making green cards. So apparently these 5 million families are going to get green cards, which means you are legally permanent residents. You can stay here as long as you live. It doesn't mean you can vote. You've got to be a citizen to vote. But another thing that this um, this does, I'd forgotten about this one, it's... Uh, one of the I have seven on, in front of me, and okay, this is number eight. Is that um, many of these families will be allowed to apply for? It's going to cost them a couple of thousand dollars, and a lot of them can afford it. Like I said, these are uh, hardworking, uh, many of them wealthy people. They can now apply for citizenship and go through the naturalization process. And again, according to Article One, Section Eight, Clause Four. That's power given to Congress, and Congress has specified, okay, it's a naturalization is a five-year process. You study our government. You study our history. You learn our language. You take a test. You pass the test, and you're sworn in as a citizen of the United States. And I bet all of us have ancestors who did that a long time ago. So that's another provision. Then they could vote, but the, you know that's a five-year process, and it won't affect mm -hmm. 2016. Although I wouldn't be surprised, just based based on what I've seen from this administration, I wouldn't be surprised to see them to attempt something in the way of speeding up, fast tracking, speed up the process, because uh, a lot of these people could pass the test right now. I have no doubt. Um, so we'll see. And again, it's like the amnesty thing. Uh, the power to change the law regarding naturalization processes belongs to Congress. It doesn't belong to right. the White House. It cannot be an executive order. No way. So anyway, we'll have to see. You might be exactly right. They might be planning on that. But uh, we'll have to wait and see if they can do that. And if the new Republican Congress can stop them, if the Supreme Court or the other uh, federal courts could weigh in and put an injunction on that sort of thing. 
Uh, so a whole bunch of things involved there. But going on with this, um, another part of the uh, uh, Obama's plan is increased border security, but it doesn't say anything about it. How much? A million dollars? A billion dollars? It's going to take an awful lot of money to secure that border. And that's been the problem all along. And Republicans have argued for the last two years, um, let's work together. First, let's secure the border. And then we'll talk about the uh, uh, 12 million or so illegal immigrants that are in the country. And, uh, of course, the Democrats and the president would not cooperate with that. So the border is still wide open. And they're pouring across, and this whole talk of amnesty is encouraging more and more to come across right now. So, increased border security, um, I mean, that's the tip of the spear here for the whole whole thing with immigration uh, law, is securing the border. Uh, number five, a higher pay for immigration officers. I'm not sure how much that will contribute. It doesn't say hire more immigration or border patrol officers, just higher pay. And then the thing that troubles me, and I don't understand it, is number six, getting rid of the Secure Communities Program. Now, this is Secure Communities is a, is a deportation program, and it pulls together the federal, state, local law enforcement personnel, and it's actually run by ICE, uh, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, <laughs> and it it's, does focus resources on identifying and removing serious criminal offenders, first, last, and foremost. Um, so they're they're going to get rid of that program. So we're not so concerned about criminals anymore. Most of them drug related, uh, coming across the border today, tomorrow, the next day. And and the funny thing is, you go back to number four, the increased border security. Um, a lot of these people have come across the border three, four, five times. They're deported. They come right back. They're deported. They're just like a yo-yo. They come right back. So that goes going back to number four should be number one, increase border security and significantly do that. And there are a lot of ways to do it. And then uh, finally, they're going to change the removal priorities. Um, I don't know exactly what removal priorities they're talking about that do target serious criminals for deportation. So that basically is the package. And as you can see, all of this is changing the law. And I don't think that uh, they're going to get away with it. I, d I just don't see how they can. So in a nutshell, that's the 10-point, or the, in our case, the 7-point uh, amnesty plan. I'm sure the other three points have something to do with administrative procedures, who's, who has the power or the responsibility to do what, and that sort of thing. So now it's up to Republicans, basically, to take a stand and uh, decide what their direction is going to be in dealing with this and in opposing this, because that's what the American people were saying when they elected him back on November the 4th. Was it that long ago? <laughs> so looking at Republican reactions as to you know what can they do, well, Congress can withhold funding, and they are talking mm -hmm. about that. If you've been following the news, they talk about it every day, withhold funding. Now, there's a, uh, the federal budget is coming up. It expires on December the 11th, and... Um, 
But that's Woody not going to be a popular thing, though, Woody, because we were, the Republicans were uh, accused of shutting down the government as a power ploy, and that kind of backfired. So, you know, there's, I know that there's going to be a lot of skittishness about that, but then I heard that they can just, uh, like, line item or whatever the terminology is for it to just withhold the funding for that particular thing. Right, they could um, they could pass an, um, a continuing resolution, uh, which basically continues the existing budget uh, for a month or three months or a whole year if they want to. Um, in fact, somebody suggested, and uh, I think this is probably a good idea, is to if they can get the Senate to go along right now, um, and if they can't get the Senate to go along, they can stall, stall, stall. Um, but they can put forth a continuing resolution that continues current funding for all aspects of the federal government except for the Department of Homeland Security. And that one will be continued until February, giving the new Congress time to deal with this amnesty plan. So that is one thing they can do. They can also ask... Um, for, I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly what it was called. Um, it's sort of a declaratory judgment from a court. They can go to any judge, any court, and ask for an injunction, essentially, or, or what they call a de declaratory judgment that puts a stop to the implementation of this executive order. Uh, so they can do that, and that is being examined and talked about. One thing they do not want to do is shut down the government by not passing a budget, because every time they mm -hmm. do that, right. Republicans take it on the chin from the people. Um, uh, the people would rather Congress cooperate with the president than shut down the government. So they got to be very careful of that. Another thing they can do, and they are doing right now, they can hold a series of public hearings in both the House and the Senate. Well, they cannot in the Senate, not yet, not until they take over in January. Um, but they can do it in the House uh, to publicize this and everything behind it. They had the um, Jay Johnston, the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, came before the a House committee and just made a fool of himself. Um, so doing that sort of thing kind of, uh, uh, you know, puts the the whole Obama thing in a very bad light. And mm -hmm. then this is my my favorite. This is the one that I think has the has the real teeth into it. Let's hear from the states. The states are the ones that are the victims of all of the all of the hard, the negative things and the, the painful things that are happening in their towns and their cities and their communities because of illegal immigration. And it's not just the criminal element either. It's the uh, the poverty element that come here for handouts. That come here for uh, welfare and free housing and, and all of those other kinds of things. It's the states that are footing the bill and pouring out billions of dollars uh, to deal with these illegal immigrants. So Texas and Oklahoma um, have both uh, expressed their intention to file lawsuits against the federal government for the harm and the damage that's been done in their states and expenses haven't heard anything formally from Oklahoma, but Texas, I heard from the um, Texas Attorney General a couple of days ago, and um, the reporter asked him, you know, when can we expect to see this happen? He said, any day now. 
he said we are uh, right now we're crossing the T's and dotting the I's and uh, we're just about ready to go so I think a lawsuit from Texas and that is a one of the major states and several other states will probably join together you'll get friends uh, of the court briefs uh, from other states and other organizations that support uh, the Texas lawsuit and I think you could see that fast-tracked and I think you could see a stop order or an injunction uh, from either an appeals court or the Supreme Court on the um, Obama amnesty plan. I think that's the best way to go. Uh, Congress, we didn't elect you to continue what we've had for the last six years. We elected you to solve some problems. Uh, so don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything harmful. Um, do what you can. You can. You can. The House of Representatives can censor the president. So the president goes down in history as one of the few ever to be rebuked by the United States Congress. Uh, but people can say, oh, it's just those Republicans and so on, which could become another rallying cry for liberals and Democrats uh, in the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. So all of that is on the table, and it's all swirling, and it's coming to a head very, very rapidly. December the 11th is, I believe, what, uh, next Thursday? So the um, Congress has about a week, and Republicans in Congress have about a week to decide how they're going to proceed. I'd like to see that Texas lawsuit uh, hit the press uh, tomorrow or the next day. That would be great. I'm liking Texas more and more. You know, they were really opposed to Common Core and a lot of uh, things that I agree with, you know, and it seems like they are just not going to stand for having the government tell them what to do, especially with them and, and their border issues. It would really impact them and hurt their economy, and I, you know, I just wonder. And you know, what do you, I wanted to comment on something that you mentioned earlier about Obama, and we'll bring it up again. We need to take a break, and then we're going to come back. But when we go through, the, you know, the reasons that people run for president, you know, with such a big office um, as the president of the United States. Ideally, we want to believe that it is this one man who is leading us, and that's how it should be. But with the things going on today, you know, there is this whole, it seems like, ulterior motive um, in the background. And I've never seen it so much. You know, we saw some of it with Clinton. It seemed like every time he messed up, they would just release another scandal, you know, to keep him in line. Yeah, but yeah. but with Obama, um, you know, it just seems even more insidious. You know, at least Clinton was likable for all of his irritating things and and everything else. You know, um, he, he seemed like an American. You know, uh, but but uh, Obama, I just I just uh, feel like there's this insidious insidiousness there. I, like I can't put my finger on it. Almost like an and evil, and I know it sounds, um, you know, sounds amazing that I would even say this on the air, but but it does. It, it just it doesn't it defies rational thought. And here you and I are, Woody, trying to make sense of it, and there is no making sense of it because it, it's so far removed um, from what how a standing president should act um, in the face of the elections and 
what what should be done. You know, his predecessors. You know, like you said, you know, look yeah. at the look at the wall of the presidents who've been there before you. And yes, every one of them is a fallen, you know, individual, um, personality-wise. But they still upheld the office of president for the most part with some dignity. And there just doesn't seem to be any in our White House right now. Right. So, okay, well, let's take a quick break, and then we come back. We'll see why people do run for president. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Well, hi and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is an episode of Current Issues and the Constitution. And today we're discussing a lot of different things, um, all tied uh, really back to the president and the elections. And sorry, it's before the break. I, I was a little bit pessimistic. <laughs> it's just when I listened to, you know, Obama's plan and his, you know, steps for amnesty, um, you know, Woody, and you even saying, you know, there's a 10-point amnesty plan, but on the Internet and searching for information, we can only find seven. You know, that just uh, set me off. And, you know, this is very typical of our administration. Um, you know, let's pass a health law our health plan and uh, right. it first and then we can read about it. You know, it right. just seems like the same thing. Um, you know, someone who is not king, who is basically acting uh, like he, he is a sovereign and doesn't need to follow along with the Constitution. Um, I heard in the news uh, this morning that they, you know, kept saying over and over that it is unconstitutional. And, and that, you know, our elected officials have promised to uphold the Constitution. And so, you know, while a lot of other um, presidents have gone outside of Congress for um, things that they have wanted, this just seems like a direct opposition to what the American people want, uh, especially with the last elections. Uh, so many won on the basis of, you know, coming out against this illegal immigration uh, plan. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, any comments that you have there? Well, it's um, right right now. Looking at, I was just sitting here as as you're talking, looking at this list of why people run for president. It, and it's um, you know, every everything that we're talking about right now is um, 2014. It's two long years. Until the election, you know, I remember the days when we would uh, we would have a presidential campaign for nine or ten months, and now we're up over two years. In fact, Hillary Clinton 
uh, seems to be running around the country for the last few months. Uh, she hasn't declared uh, for the presidency yet, but um, uh, she's been certainly uh, been making all the moves, and the, Met, the media has been following her and uh, and you know, how she is doing and how the far left liberals are reacting to her and all those kinds of things. So uh, you could say we're and and we've got um, we've got Republicans saying they're going to run. And we've got Republicans that re, that decline to say that they're not going to run. Um, so you know, it's just right now it's just sort of uh, we're at the we're at the starting blocks, and we've got a whole bunch of people uh, trying to get in the race or thinking about getting in the race, and we're going to have to wait and see. But the the question here, and this is from a USA Today article from November the 28th. In fact, um, I was in Florida at the time. And um, saw this article, and, and I read it, and I and I read it again, and I thought, uh, well, okay, this is uh, uh, this is um, maybe partially right, not completely right. Um, one of the things I've noticed about journalists over the last um, many years that I've studied and taught United States history is many times they don't really have a good understanding of history, and they say things that are simply uh, not accurate uh, because of that, or not completely accurate. Uh, but that's not what they try to do. They just simply, basically, try to make a profit. It doesn't matter if they can get people to buy their magazine or their newspaper or watch their channel. Uh, then their ratings go up, and they make the money, and so on and so forth. So, looking at this list, um, they they had six altogether, and um, I added five more. Uh, just based on on history, uh, the presidential elections that we've seen. Their first one is um, that people run for the presidency because they want to change the country's direction. Well, why does somebody want to change the country's direction? Uh, why does somebody want to be the president in order to do that? Um, I guess Adolf Hitler did that in Germany. He certainly wanted to change Germany's direction, and he did. Um, but I think there are reasons behind that. And when you when I think of changing the country's direction, I can't help but remember Obama saying during the 2008 campaign, "We are going to fundamentally change America." Now, where did he get that? We? He didn't say I. He said we. Who mm-hmm. is the we? And that's just yeah. one of many many little clues uh, to the strong possibility that there is a very strong group uh, with a lot of money that are supporting him. I think they picked him. You know, in that um, 2006 Democratic Convention, no, excuse me, 2004, he gets up and he makes a speech. I happened to be there watching and listening. I was very impressed. Mm -hmm. And he said all the right things. Uh, He sounded like a Republican. He sounded like a Democrat. He was tall, good-looking, big smile, very, very good orator, gave a very good speech. I think they picked him right then. Okay, this is our guy. Let's get this guy in the White House. And they had four years to educate him. And we know of some of those sessions, uh, like with Bill Ayers, the terrorist from the 1960s. And we know of others. So he's a part of this group. And um, he, they are trying to change the country's direction and make us something like European, socialist, down with the Constitution, down with the free market. Um, I think there's some agenda, a very powerful global liberal Agenda 21 force 
involved in this, and I think Obama is a part of it. Okay, conspiracy theory? All right, I'm a conspiracy theorist for the moment, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just shows with some of the things that have been happening, Woody. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that uh, there's a lot that is going on that the American people are definitely not backing and we're pretty much being ignored. And so, you know, that's why I say it's really going to be up to the next uh, candidate to really unite the forces um, and and bring the people back to where they really trust government again, because I think most of us uh, really are are very um, disappointed by what we've seen. And on either side of the aisle, doesn't really matter. Um, there hasn't yes. been yes. too many that have been shining lights, and if they they are. Uh, you know, I, there there are some things that bug me, like the filibusters and, you know, things that are just idiotic. Like, why are we still doing that? Is right. there, can, can you tell me a real reason to do that other than to be annoying and to delay a vote? <laughs> you know? I think because, yeah, because it's tradition. We've been doing it since the 1840s in the Senate. They have uh, never done it in the House. The House always put limits on debate. Uh, the Senate does not. And oh, thank you. I agree with you. It's just, it just doesn't make sense at all. What's wrong with majority rule? You know, yeah. let's move on. Well, let's, let's, uh, hopefully there will be a senator who's strong enough to bring it to, uh, you know, an, what would that take? Would it be an amendment or what would, I mean, it's not in the Constitution. No, as a matter of fact, so, um, it was a little over a year ago, uh, Harry Reid put a vote on the floor to end cloture, which is what we're talking about, for judicial appointments. And they did a simple majority vote, and it was over with. So nobody can filibuster now for judicial opponents. All, And I'm thinking about this. All that has to happen is that um, Mitch McConnell, who's the new majority leader probably, all he has to say is, okay, let's put a bill on the floor to eliminate cloture for all legislation coming through the Senate. No more filibuster. Five-day limit on debate like the House does, or, you know, it might be 10 days, depending on the size of the bill. And um, then we vote. And so we either voted up or we voted down, simple majority. I would like to see them do that. Of course, the liberals and the Democrats would raise, raise cane over that, but um, they did the same thing with judicial appointments, so they, they'd be shamefaced to object to a blanket elimination of, of the cloture rule. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they ought to do and start solving problems, even if they have right. to compromise, and compromises aren't frequently are not solid solutions to problems, but nonetheless it's moving in a, in a direction. It's not just stalemate and deadlock. We can actually do something about the federal debt, for example, or the annual deficit. And the immigration problem and, and all kinds of other things that, that are just festering and have been for years and years and years. It just doesn't wow. make sense. You know, and I think, you know, going through your list here of why people run, um, we don't need to go into every item that's on the show notes. So if you go to current issues in the Constitution and uh, scroll down and look for the show that says why run for president, you'll see that entire list. But when I look at this close, Woody, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is we need someone with some uh, business sense, and I think that's why 
um, the the past uh, candidate, Mitt Romney, was liked was because he was a businessman and he turned around the Olympics uh, from something that was going to, you know, end and fall apart because it was not lucrative to something that really is a very lucrative uh, thing again. And, uh, you know, people are watching and, and had an interest in so it just seems like one of the, the number 11, you know, if you have their super patriotic, you know, number 11 for me would be, you know, can manage big government and get things done. Uh, but, well, um, the, the, the ones I added. Uh, yeah, which ones were those? Uh, really? Start with number seven, ego, sense of okay. power. Okay, yeah. that, that um, that's interrelated with um, number two, to make history, number three. Uh, no, not number three so much. Basically, the make history, boost, the, his, the history book type brand. of thing. Right. Well, to boost their brand, that's basically so they can uh, write a book and make some money. Right. Uh, like Al Sharpton ran for president. He's a multimillionaire now uh, because he gets invited to speak and gets paid big money for it, and he writes books or somebody writes books for him uh, yeah, because now his name is known and that sort of thing. Now, number eight, I, I put, they are persuaded by Pearson Party. And I'm pretty sure Obama was persuaded by peers and party and very some very small and powerful group within the party. I know mm-hmm. that, um, uh, for example, Warren Harding was a, basically a drunk from Ohio in the United States Senate. And <laughs> he died in his third year of presidency from some stomach ailment, probably sclerosis of the liver. liver. He was an alcoholic. And he was a philanderer and those kinds of things. But he was good-looking, gave a good speech. So the party party bosses persuaded him to run. So frequently they are, and then they have they just go trot them out and they uh, they toe the party line. Number nine, they they deeply believe that they can make a difference. We get uh, people in the White House, and I'm absolutely certain that uh, Ronald Reagan was one of them. Uh, of course, we don't know what's in their minds and their hearts. That deeply believe they are super patriotic, and this one is related, and they deeply believe that they can make a difference. But another thing that often happens, and you see it in every election, a lot of a lot of people run for president knowing full well that they will not win the election. Ron Paul was such a guy. He knew there was no chance at all of winning the Republican nomination, but he ran to change the party, to move the party. Now, for example, um, Ted Cruz, for example, and uh, Rick Santorum, let's say. Uh, Let's say they both get in the race. They're both very, very conservative, and they both uh, represent a minority wing of the party. The moderate's a little bit larger, although the conservatives with the Tea Party effort seems to be growing. But Mm -hmm. even if Cruz or Santorum do not win the nomination uh, to run for president, they can pull the party to the right. They can pull the party platform to the right. And a lot of times, I know that's what Ron Paul was doing. And then again, you see it in every single election. So looking at at the list, uh, there are probably more that we haven't even thought of as to why people run for the White House. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, Democratic candidates, I think you have that list, right? Yes, I do. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, I did send that, right. So I, I think right. if you look at num- number three on the list, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts, you may have heard of her during the recent uh, campaign period before the yes. uh, November 4th election. Um, uh, the far-left liberals, uh, the same people that probably um, probably managed Barack Obama, are very interested in putting Elizabeth Warren up against Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. And um, I was surprised to see my Senator Joe Manchin on the on the list, but a very large wing of the party is not happy with Hillary Clinton. They're afraid that he's go- she's going to be just like Bill Clinton. And is she electable? I mean, if you stop and look at this this woman, she doesn't really have a record. Uh, what has she done? What has she accomplished? Um, nothing that that you can really really point to. And fail- um, you know, she she's really going to be a lot of failures. Yes, yeah, she like does. She tra- and, and you know, she tried Republicans to do the health care. Republicans will white her, wash her with that. Yeah, when she when Bill was president, she was in charge mm-hmm. of the new health care program, and it was defeated. Right. And it's one of the reasons Republicans took Congress in 1994. The people are very upset about that. So you have uh, those three candidates, Biden, Clinton, uh, Warren. Now, Elizabeth Warren says, and she just said a couple of days ago, absolutely not. There is no way anybody can persuade me to run for president. So it might come down to Clinton and Biden, two very weak candidates. Why is the list so short, the list of Democrats? Why is it so short? Because they're going to have the same problem that a whole bunch of senators did in in November the 4th. They are a part of the Obama administration. And you cannot detach from that. I mean, you, you can't say that you didn't support the president because you did. You were in his cabinet. Or you were the vice president, so uh, you're, you voted for the Affordable Care Act. You know, whatever. There's just a whole bunch of Democrats that say, well, maybe they have aspirations to be president, but they're going to wait. Now, the list of Republican candidates is, and it's just the opposite. See, everybody wants to get into the race because great opportunity for a Republican to become president of the United States. A great opportunity. Um, they play their cards right, and Congress doesn't mess things up. 24, 24 potential candidates. These are people that have either said they're going to run or they're considering running, or when they're asked if they're going to run, they won't say no. And, boy, there's a bunch of them. I think some of them probably uh, – I was kind of surprised that I actually knew who all of them were. I have – I don't think – I two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen. 14, 16. I have a list of 16, but there are eight more also. Um, but these are all well-known people, very capable people, very sharp people. Notice down the middle of the list is Mitt Romney, uh, who is one of the ones who won't say no when asked. Um, and you see on the list Marco Rubio, uh, who has been considered before Rand Paul, Chris Christie of New Jersey, Ted Cruz, uh, always Jeb Bush. I just uh, heard an interview with him this morning, and um, he is very, very hesitant um, uh, he's talking about family and family priori- priorities and those kinds of things. I'm not sure he's going to run. I think he's waiting to see if he can get the support, if he can get the money. I don't know. Uh, so it's a nice list, a good list of, of, of folks to choose from, all experienced, all very sharp people, all people who have accomplished things. 
and um, we'll see how many show up for the first debate. <laughs> I don't think you could have. <laughs> I don't think you have a debate debate with twenty four candidates. So, no, it's, uh, yeah, many it, many of these. They're all doing the exploratory thing right now. Um, right. What groups will support us? What states will support us? How much money can we raise? And within the next uh, two or three months, many of them will say no, and we'll see mm-hmm. who's left. I hope they they get on the social media bandwagon like the Obama campaign did. Uh, they seem to be really uh, tech savvy, which you know appealed to a younger demographic and. I think that's important, you know, and that doesn't take as much money. Um, It, you know, obviously does if you're promoting and paying for promotions, but just uh, the viral nature of that type of thing, um, you know, can really go a long way. Yeah. So. And one nice thing about this list is that the majority of them are solid conservatives. Yeah, I know that. Mitt Romney and Jeb Bush are uh, certainly in anybody's top five in terms of looking good in the polls right now, but they're both moderate. Um, You know, when Mitt Romney ran, uh, the um, Republican platform had a statement against Agenda 21. He never once mentioned it, and I've read Mm -hmm. that he supports it, and so does Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush supports the Common Core, Um, those kinds of things. Um, I'd hate to see somebody like that get elected because he might as well elect Hillary Clinton. You know, you'd have about right. the same person. All right. Well, so anyway, said he, he didn't want to run again, so let's hope that he decides he doesn't want to. And I like Jeb Bush. You know, he was governor of Florida, but I don't like some of the positions that he's now coming forward, just the ones you mentioned. I mean, if I could look at this list and pick my top three, it would probably be uh, Marco Rubio, um, Rick Santorum, and Ted Cruz. So, you know, but we'll have to... Uh, see, you know, what happens. And, hey, you know, I like you know. Rick Perry, uh, governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exec- I like Rick Perry, An executive too. governor from Texas. Yeah, that's true. There's Texas that I like, <laughs> and he's the governor. Um, yeah, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't think, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's going to do a better job, but I didn't think in the last uh, uh, primary, primary thing back in 2012, I didn't think he presented himself very well. Uh, I think he needs to be stronger, more sure, more confident, a little more aggressive. And he's had four years to prepare, like Obama had four years from 2004 to 2008. So maybe he'll do a better job. Um, One of the things that that I've noticed uh, throughout history is that legislators like Santorum and Cruz, um, uh, Rand Paul, legislators usually do not make good presidents. Uh, you need an an executive, the governors, the governors. Mm-hmm. That's who you know, I always look to first. Quite a few on the on the list. You know, I like Mark uh, Mike Huckabee as well. You know, he seems to be a fixture on Fox News. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but it, it just seems like you know he's tried quite a few times. So we'll see. I mean, at least we have a good list here. Um, yeah, it is a good list. It's a strong list. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I looked at it and said, okay, we have no one, you know. And uh, I think that's how people felt with Mick Romney running. You know, a lot of people did not support him. So hopefully we'll get a little bit more cohesive. And, you know, we just need to get on our knees and start praying because we can't continue on the way we're going. They were saying the the deficit 
course, is at an all-time high, and uh, it's continuing to grow, and that has got to stop as well for the future of our children, Woody, you know, and our grandchildren. Right. Well, we both have grandchildren, so, absolutely. Uh, you know, we have to hope that that ends. All right, well, as usual, we're out of time, so I look forward to our next session and uh, hearing from you again as well as uh, from any of our listeners. If you have any questions, you can always email me at police at MediaAngels.com or on our Facebook page at the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. And just be sure you tag me, which means uh, just do that at sign above the number two, shift, hit number two, and then write Police Gerwitz so I see it because I'm not online as much as people think I am. So if you tag me, though, it comes right to my email if you're on Facebook um, or email me, and I will get your questions to Woody if you have any. So thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Woody. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the day, and I'll talk to you in a few weeks. You bet. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.